Welcome to I Wish They Knew, a show where leaders in business and education share big ideas that deserve more attention in about the time it takes to enjoy a cup of coffee. I'm Joe Hirsch. Today's wish comes from Alan Stein Jr. Alan is a performance coach, speaker, and an author of two books. He spent nearly two decades helping elite athletes elevate their performance skills and habits, including NBA superstars like Kobe Bryant, Steph Curry, and Kevin Durant, and it showed companies like Pepsi, Charles Schwab, American Express, and Starbucks had increased their organizational effectiveness. His latest book, Sustain Your Game, Manage Stress, Avoid Stagnation, and Beat Burnout. Alan, welcome to the show. Oh my goodness. It's so great to reconnect with you, my friend. We're going to have some fun. It's going to be good. So you have been thinking a lot about how to sustain your game after telling us how to raise it. What do you wish more people knew about not just achieving success, but keeping it? I wish they knew that there are so many similarities between raising your game and sustaining your game. There are some foundational principles um, that certainly cross over to both, but then there are some nuanced differences um, that 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 do separate the climb up from kind of staying there, but but not just staying there and stagnating, staying there and continually and gradually evolving and growing and developing. And you know, for me, I'm always writing about what it is in my life that I'm experiencing. And by no means am I implying that I've completely raised my game and that I've reached optimal performance. But that was the focus of the first book, because that's really where I was focused in my life and career at the time. And now it's it's more about how can I continue to perform at a high level, but achieve you know massive fulfillment and happiness uh, without being dragged down by stress and stagnation and burnout. So those beliefs and behaviors that allowed us to achieve success in the first place, those are not quite the same skills, beliefs, and behaviors that allow us to sustain it as we go forward, right? Yeah, there's some there's several nuanced differences. And, and for the most part, those nuanced differences have to do with our ability to manage stress kind of in the moment, uh, how we can avoid stagnation more in that midterm space, and then how over the long haul, uh, we can beat burnout. And, and I think those three things in particular uh, have been heightened exponentially over the past two years with the with the global pandemic, you know those those things were were rampant prior to. I mean, there were research studies done before the pandemic uh, about how stressed out you know American workers in general are and how people were on the edge of burnout. And then I think the pandemic kind of took that to an entirely new level. Yeah, yeah. So it's not simply about elevating your game by you know doubling down on those performance drivers, but it sounds like there are these performance drags that are holding us back, the, the stress, the burnout, uh, the stagnation. Take us through those, um, you, know, you mentioned like the three-step process. So how should people be on the lookout for those and how do they deal with them? Well, the very first thing we have to do is, is have a level of acceptance and a level of acknowledgement. And just know that throughout our lives, we're always going to be battling stress, stagnation, and burnout. And then when you find yourself on the cusp of any one of those, you're not alone. And that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. And that doesn't mean that you're not living your life the right way. Um, th th those are, it's a part of being human, if you will. So we have to accept that. But another major step is also taking full ownership 
that it is our behavior that often invites and incites those things to new levels that, you know, uh, on, on some level, and I know this might be a controversial topic, stress is a choice, you know, that, that you, you invite stress into your life by the way that you behave, the habits that you have, the, the people that you surround yourself with, um, and, and learning to have a level of acceptance of what you have control over and what you don't, I believe is the first step to, to alleviating stress. And then when we look at stagnation, we have to understand that it's, it's in our human DNA to be wired in a way that when things are going pretty well, it's very easy to click on the mental and emotional cruise control and just to kind of let things continue to go without this need uh, of reinvention and to shake things up and to do things differently. Uh, and then lastly, burnout, uh, I believe, is caused by a misalignment between the work you're doing and the sacrifices you're making and your, your goals and your dreams and your vision. You know, when those things are no longer in alignment and you're kind of working in the opposite direction to what fills your bucket, that's ultimately what creates burnout. You hear stories about these incredibly successful athletes, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, who almost create a narrative around their work and their game to help them break out of that stagnation. Jordan famously talked about how he was cut from his team. Brady famously focused on the fact that he was a sixth rounder uh, and kept a list of people who doubted him. Are, are these artificial drivers to get, in this case, athletes, but really more generally top performers to that next level? Is that something that we need to have in order to juice that performance or are there other ways to break through without constructing certain models or images of who we think people think we are in the work we're doing? I love that you went in that direction. No, I don't believe they are necessary. I believe for some people, and you just mentioned the epitome of, of two outstanding performers, for some people that model works really well, but I don't think that needs to be the case for everybody. Uh, this is where uh, self-awareness really comes into play and that you have to find what, what truly motivates you and inspires you and drives you and wants you, you know, that, to encourage and empower yourself to make these different shifts and these different changes. And for somebody like a Jordan, he, he played better with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder when he was a little bit angry. So as we all saw in the last dance, I mean, he, he would come up with these fictitious examples of something that would kind of get his juices flowing a little bit. So I think uh, we just have to figure out inside of us what does that. And having been around athletics my entire life, one thing that I do find interesting, especially in pro sports, um, which can often help alleviate some of these symptoms of burnout, is they have a very distinct off season. Now, I know with someone as famous as a Jordan or Brady, they've got a lot of things that necessitate their time. They have a lot of demands on them, but they actually have a distinct off period. They have a, a few month period where it doesn't mean they're going to stop training or preparing, but it's not the same year round. And I think that's one of the challenges for the rest of us mere mortals in, in the business world is we don't really have that distinct off season. Uh, it, it's much more infinite. It's much more evergreen. You know, it's 12 months a year. Um, and if we aren't uh, disciplined enough uh, to make the time to take vacations, to have days off, to socially and uh, uh, electronically unplug and detox. If we don't take the steps to do that and we're always going, 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 grinding, 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 then I think burnout is inevitable. Yeah, so having to stop so that we can go. 
Absolutely, without yeah. question. And, and we know that, you know, back in my days of training, you know, after an intense workout, that had to be followed by a rest period where you would recover, you would replenish, you would refuel, uh, which would then build yourself back stronger. So you were constantly training at high intensity, then resting and recovering, then training at high intensity. And it's important to build that rest and recovery in uh, for physical development. But it's equally important for mental and emotional development as well, which is why the rest of us in the regular world need to build those times in that if you were going 24 seven 365 that simply isn't sustainable and uh, you know you could do it for short runs. You know, if, if you have a launch coming up or you're in the, the startup phase, you know, you may be able to sink more time into your work for shorter periods. Um, and that's okay, but that needs to be followed by some type of respite. A lot of the work of high performance is done offline. You talk about it being done in the unseen hours, which I love. For high performers who want to take their game to the next level, how much of that work should stay off to the side, um, sort of being done um, in the quiet moments, or how much should be made visible to build accountability for the work they're trying to do to get better? That will ebb and flow. And I think it depends on the individual. Uh, there's a lot of, of kind of nuanced variance in that. Um, but the connection I always want people to make is what you do during the unseen hours uh, dictates how well you'll perform during the seen hours. And whether you're the, the seen hours are, are playing in an NBA basketball game or they're giving a, a presentation or writing a proposal um, or a video you choose to put out on Instagram, um, it's what you do in the hours that precede that that will determine how well you'll perform. And I just always want to make sure that folks connect those dots. And in sport, once again, it's obvious. You know, you go to practice every day. You work out in order to play your game on Friday night. Um, but I know a lot of folks in the professional world, and I know we share a lot of colleagues, especially in, in the speaking world, that might not put that much time and effort into the preparation because they just believe that when I step on stage, I can wing it and I'll be fine. Or I know I have a sales presentation this Friday. You know, I'm very charismatic. I know they like me. I'll be fine. And they don't do the, the due diligence and the work in advance to increase the chance that they'll perform at a higher level. So I've, I've always been a huge fan um, of proper preparation during the unseen hours. One, one story that we were just talking about uh, before we started chatting today was the story you shared with me about Kobe and preparation. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, the, the first time I ever met Kobe Bryant was back in 2007 um, for the Nike Skills Academy. So Nike brought in the top high school and college players from around the country uh, for an intense three-day minicamp with, with Kobe, who uh, at the time was the best player in the world. And, uh, you know, as, as your listeners have probably gathered, basketball has been a very important part of my life for my entire life. So I had always heard this urban legend of how insanely intense Kobe's individual workouts were. And when I found myself on his camp staff, I, I figured this is my chance. This is my shot. So at my earliest opportunity, I walked up to Kobe and asked if I could watch one of his private workouts. Uh, and he was incredibly gracious and smiled and said, sure, man, no problem. I'm going tomorrow at four. And I got confused because I had just got done looking through the camp schedule and the camp schedule clearly said that the first workout with the players was the following day at 3.30. And Kobe recognized that confused look on my face and clarified that with a friendly wink and said, yeah, that's 4 a.m. Well, I can't think of a reason why I can't be somewhere at four in the morning. So I, I pretty much committed myself to being there. 
And I figured if I was going to be there anyway, this was my chance to leave my mark with Kobe. This was my chance to impress him. So I came up with the plan to beat him to the gym. So I set my alarm for 3 a.m. the next morning and the alarm goes off. I jump up. I quickly get myself dressed. I hop in a taxi and I head to the gym. And when I, I arrive at the gym, it's 3.30 in the morning. So it's pitch black outside. And yet the moment I stepped out of the cab, uh, I could see that the gym light was already on. I could even hear a ball bouncing and sneakers squeaking from the parking lot. And when I walked in the side door, I see Kobe's already in a full sweat. Uh, he was going through an intense warm up before his actual workout with his trainer started at four. And, you know, out of professional courtesy, I didn't say anything to him or his trainer. I didn't want to be a distraction. I just sat down to watch. And for the first 45 minutes, I was shocked. For the first 45 minutes, I watched Kobe do the most basic footwork and offensive moves. He was doing stuff I had routinely taught to middle school age players. Now, keep in mind, this is Kobe Bryant. So he was doing everything at an unparalleled level of intensity. He was doing everything with surgical precision, but the stuff he was doing was incredibly basic. And his workout went on for a couple more hours. And when it was over, once again, I did not say anything to him. I did not say anything to his trainer. I just quietly left, but my curiosity kept nipping away. And it eventually overwhelmed me to the point that I had to know. So later that day at camp, I went up to him again and said, Kobe, I don't understand. You're the best player in the world. Why are you doing such basic drills? And he flashed that million dollar smile, but he said in a very serious tone, why do you think I'm the best player in the world? Because mm -hmm. I never get bored with the basics. And I remember, I mean, I still, the, the, the hairs on my neck still stand up when I say that uh, because it was such an epiphanal moment. I never get bored with the basics. You know, here I am talking to one of the greatest basketball players to ever play the game, someone that has truly mastered his craft. And he said that his foundational secret is that he never gets bored with the basics. And, you know, I know maybe for many of your listeners that that should be blatantly obvious, but for me at that moment in my life, that was life-changing because it was in that moment that I realized that just because something is basic, it doesn't mean that it's easy. Yeah. People often use those words interchangeably, but they're not synonyms. Just because something is basic in principle doesn't mean that it's easy to execute. And, and that lesson has stayed with me ever since. And it applies to both of the books I've put out. And it absolutely applies to sustaining your game. You know, what it takes to, to manage stress and avoid stagnation and beat burnout is very basic in principle. I could explain that to a first grader and they would conceptually understand it. But as we all know, what it takes to manage stress, avoid stagnation and beat burnout is anything but easy arguably the biggest challenge that we face day in and day out. It's the performance that we do in front of others, but it's also the performance habits that we build with just the company of ourselves. The book is Sustain Your Game. The author is Alan Stein Jr. Alan, thanks for sharing your wish with us today. Oh my gosh, this was so much fun. Thank you so much, Joe. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please rate and review the show it helps others find us. For more ideas on how to communicate with impact, visit my website, joehirsch.me. See you next time.